John chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. So then, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. They, then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Good morning and welcome. We appreciate David leading our singing today. We're thankful that you're here. If you are visiting, we want to take the opportunity to welcome you here. We're always grateful for the presence of visitors. It may be the case that you're looking for a church home, and we always try to reach out and invite those who are looking to consider the work here. The elders would be happy to meet with you. I know that they have met with people in the past, answered questions, and they would be more than happy to answer any questions that you may have. And we're trying to, we're trying to the best of our ability to exalt the name of Christ in this community, and we would love to have you come and be a part of that work. We're going to be looking today at the book of John, chapter 19. We're going to look at some excerpts from the 19th chapter of John as we think about the theme, the greatest story ever told. Over 40 years ago, there was an epic movie that was made entitled, The Greatest Story Ever Told. It may be the case that you have seen that movie, but it was a narration of the life of Jesus, beginning with his birth through his resurrection. It is indeed the greatest story ever told. There are a lot of stories that have been told in days gone by, and yet the greatest story has to do with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The reason is because through his death and resurrection, we have the hope of life eternal. Today I want us to think for a moment or two about the greatest story ever told. I want us to begin by talking about the condemnation of Jesus. When you look at the 19th chapter of the book of John as well as the other narratives that are recorded for us in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find that Jesus was denounced by a number of individuals there were any number of people that wanted to see him put to death. They were, as we would say, against him. Interestingly, not only were the Romans a part of the death of Christ, not only did they have a part in condemning him, but there were what we would call religious people that were involved in his death. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the ruling superintendent, and that being Pontius Pilate. Pilate, of course, is an interesting character. In chapter 18, as well as in chapter 19, John records for us that at least two times, Pilate asserts, I find no fault in him. Now that's interesting, that Pilate acknowledges that Jesus is an innocent person. 
And yet, we all know that Jesus was delivered to death. Pilate had a part in that. Even though he tried to wash his hands of the whole episode, declaring, I am innocent of his blood. And then we think about the ruthless soldiers. John tells us in chapter 19, verse 1, that Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. The scourging was a terrible ordeal. Historians indicate that two men, Romans, would take a condemned individual and they would tie him to a post, strip him sometimes to his waist, and they would beat him unmercifully. They would take a leather whip and that whip had leather thongs. Attached to those leather thongs would be metal balls or bones from sheep. And they would beat a man, as we would say, to a pulp. That's what they did to Jesus. Historians also state, scholars suggest that the thorns that were used to make the crown that was placed upon the head of Jesus, after all, they spoke of him as the king of the Jews and a king had to have a crown. They suggest that the thorns may have been at least one inch in length. You can just imagine Jesus having been scourged, that crown of thorns placed upon his head, and then those soldiers mocking and ridiculing him, slapping him in the face. When you begin to examine this narrative, the text tells us that there are also some religious people involved. I think about the scribes, those individuals who were experts in the law, the chief priest, the elders. Did you know that they too had a part in the death of Jesus in condemning him to die? In verse 6, the Bible says, the chief priest and officers saw him. They cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Mark tells us in Mark chapter 15 at verse 31 that the scribes along with the chief priest while Jesus was on the cross said to him he saved others himself he cannot save. And then also we are confronted with the robbers, the malefactors that were crucified with him. Luke said in Luke chapter 23 that when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors or the thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Mark said in chapter 15 verse 32 that the thieves reviled him. Now Luke tells us later during the ordeal of the cross that one of the thieves 
came to believe that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. He acknowledged the innocence of Jesus by saying, this man has done nothing amiss. And so he asked Jesus to remember him when he came in his kingdom. Jesus' response, today you will be with me in paradise. So the condemnation of Jesus. But what about the crucifixion of Jesus? I suspect that when you begin to think about the heinous crimes that have been committed by the human family, none would even begin to compare with the death of Jesus on the cross. Not only was he denounced, but the Bible says he was put to death. There are two things that, are, that I think are noteworthy in relationship to his death on the cross. Now, in verse 6, John tells us that they cried out, Crucify him. Crucify him. Drop down with me, if you would, for just a moment. And note verse 14. It was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him to them to be crucified. And they led him away. And he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Consider first of all the pain associated with the cross. There are probably a lot of different ways that one could go in analyzing the pain associated with the death of Jesus on Calvary. I want to just talk about three very specific things that I believe relate to the death of Jesus on Calvary. First, I believe that Jesus suffered physically. When you look at John chapter 19 and take into account the events that surrounded the mockery of a trial, the conviction, and then the crucifixion. John points out, and we have already noted, that he was scourged. The scourge was enough to kill any man. So Jesus was scourged. That crown of, crown of thorns had been placed on his head. He had been slapped, beaten, and ridiculed. No doubt the Lord Jesus had suffered tremendous blood loss. He had taken a beating during the events leading up to the cross. Matthew tells us that as they made their way to Calvary, 
the Lord fell beneath the weight of the cross. And they compelled a man by the name of Simon of Serene to bear his cross. Jesus literally fell beneath the weight of that wooden cross. I can't begin to imagine the pain that he experienced physically. The Persians were said to have invented crucifixion. And if they invented it, historians say that the Romans perfected it. They liked crucifixion because of the horrendous pain associated with it. Some would say it would render a man unconscious. One of the reasons they like to scourge a person is because were a man crucified without being scourged, he might literally hang on that cross for an extended period of time if his strength was such. So the Romans, they perfected the art of crucifixion. They also used it as a deterrent to evildoers. They took spikes and nailed those in his hands and feet. Jesus suffered immensely, physically speaking. There are a lot of terrible ways to die. I'm not sure if there is a good way, so to speak, to die. Maybe to pass away in sleep. That might be the most peaceful way to die. But death by crucifixion, a horrible way to die. Jesus was crucified. He suffered physically. But then I think also he suffered emotionally. Bear in mind that this was the creator. After all, Jesus was the agent by which the world was made. That's what John tells us in chapter 1 at verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was nothing made that was made. Here is the creator suffering at the hands of his own creation. It's one thing to be taunted, ridiculed, to be accused of blasphemy. Imagine if you can having someone spit in your face. The Bible tells us that Jesus was spat upon. Now I will freely grant the taunts, the ridicule, the rants from those around him, emotionally that would have taken a toll. But for me, what really strikes me about the emotional state of the cross is found in John's narrative down in verse 25. The text says, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Now I believe that he was talking about John the Apostle. I'm not sure if there's anything any more gut-wrenching 
than to think your own mother, the one that bore you into this world, that gave you life, would have to watch as you died. Jesus was on the cross, suffering and writhing in pain. And to know that his own physical mother had to stand by and take it. I'm not sure if this is a good analogy or not, but I remember many years ago when I was a teenager, a friend of mine and I had a wreck late one night. And we were, we were taken by ambulance to the hospital. And it was late. And I remember my folks were called. To me, aside from the pain and all of the things that go along with an automobile accident, the hardest part for me was having my mother come in that emergency room and see me lying on a bed with blood everywhere. Now you just think about the mother of Jesus and she's standing at the foot of the cross and there's nothing she can do. That had to be emotionally hard. Thirdly, I think about the pain that Jesus experienced spiritually. What about the spiritual pain that Jesus experienced on the cross? Matthew tells us that while hanging upon the cross, darkness covered the land. You remember? It was as, it was as if God the Father could not bear to look at his own son. You see, the human family needed a sacrifice for sin. And the scapegoat was Jesus. Sometimes we talk about something that has happened. Circumstances have occurred. And someone is at fault. And so one person is chosen as a scapegoat. They're going to they're going to be the one that has to bear the whole crime. Well, Jesus was the scapegoat, all right. Back in the book of Numbers, we have an account of the great day of atonement. One of the things that occurred on the day of atonement the high priest would lay his hands on the head of a scapegoat. He would confess all of the sins of the people over the head of that scapegoat. And then he would send that goat out into the wilderness, into an uninhabited land, to signify the removal of the sins of the people. Well, when Jesus went to Calvary, he was our scapegoat. He took the brunt of the sins of the human family. The Bible tells us him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now we talk about the spiritual pain that Jesus experienced on the cross. Listen to him as he cried out, my God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? Jesus had enjoyed an intimate relationship with the Father throughout all of time. And now bearing the sins of the human family, Jesus is now forsaken by his Father in heaven. To me, that had to be the worst part of the cross for him. To know that God the Father in heaven could not bear to look. Jesus bore our sins on Calvary. He was a sinless being and yet he was willing to bear our sins in his body on the tree. As Peter said, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. There's a third thing I want to call attention to as we think about the cross. His condemnation, his crucifixion, and then his cry. Think with me for a moment, if you would, about the great declaration that was made from the cross. If you look at verse 28, John said, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Two things here. First of all, his victory in death. When Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished, this cry was not a cry of defeat. It was a cry of victory. Jesus had fulfilled God's will for him. What was that will? That he die for the sins of the human family? Look again at verse 28. Jesus knew that all things were now accomplished. Jesus came to fulfill the will of God the Father. When man sinned in the Garden of Eden, God had a plan in place. That plan had been in place before the world was, was ever framed. John speaks in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In verse 15, God began at that point in time in history unveiling his plan of redemption. God brought his son into the world to die for us. Now we talk about the purpose for Jesus coming to the cross. It was to save. It was to save us from sin. Jesus said in John 4 verse 34, my will, my work is to do the will of him who sent me. In John 6, 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. In John 17, verse 4, before Jesus went to the cross, in its very shadow, he prayed to God the Father saying, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. So while 
hanging on Calvary's cross, Jesus could cry, it is finished. He fulfilled the will of the Father. Now think with me for just a moment about the purpose behind his death. When Jesus was born into this world, there was a purpose for that birth. Matthew tells us that the angel of the Lord told Joseph that that which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit, that she would bring forth a son, that his name would be called Jesus, and it would be Jesus that would save his people from sin. Jesus said in Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save us. And so, his victory in death, he finished God's plan. He fulfilled it. He did exactly what God the Father wanted him to do, and that is to give himself as a ransom for our sins, to redeem us. And then there's a second thing here. Not only do we have his victory in death, but we have his victory over death. You see, the life of Jesus does not end on the cross. But rather, when you look at chapter 20, what do you have recorded? The Bible tells us in very explicit terms. John tells us, and not just John, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Talk about the resurrected Christ. It would have been one thing were Jesus to have been put to death, never to rise again. But the fact of the matter is, they could not keep Jesus in that tomb. Oh yes, they secured it. They set men to watch over the tomb. The Bible tells us Jesus was resurrected from the dead. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1 at verse 4 that he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Jesus was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised again for our justification according to Romans chapter 4 verse 25. When Jesus came forth from death, he destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. The bottom line is this. We serve a risen Savior. Matthew asks the question or records the question that was asked centuries ago to those who visited the tomb of Jesus following his resurrection. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus Christ was raised from the dead three days after his death. He now sits at the right hand of Almighty God. The Bible tells us that the same Jesus that ascended to heaven will come again one day. Those of us who live for him, we have the promise of life eternal. I'm convinced the greatest story ever told is about Jesus, the Nazarene, the Son of God, the one who loved us and gave himself for our sins. Let me close by asking this question. Are you a follower 
of Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ wants you to be his disciple. He wants you to follow him. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came to give you life. Jesus would also say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus gave his life for you personally. The death of Christ, it's a personal thing. He died for all of us. Here's what you need to do if you're not his disciple. First, you need to believe that he is the son of God. You need to have the conviction of Peter in the long ago when he said, we believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then you need to repent, that is, turn from a life of sin. As Peter said on Pentecost Day in Acts 2.38, those who believe in Jesus, who are willing to repent, no doubt would be more than happy to confess their belief in Jesus as the Son of God, just like the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. The Bible then says we're to be baptized into Christ because Jesus shed his blood in death, John 19, 34. The only way that we can appropriate the blood of Christ is to go where it was shed. And we do that through baptism. Paul said, know you not that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. It is at that juncture that we appropriate the blood of Christ, the grace of God, his mercy, and a host of spiritual blessings, according to Ephesians 1.3. It may be that you're here today and you're not living as you should. You're a Christian, but for whatever reason, you're not what you ought to be. We would be more than happy to pray with you and for you. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?